Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When it comes to real world history, Doctor Who is always asking the what if question. What if Winston Churchill approved the use of Daleks during the Second World War? What if Charles Dickens chased gaseous ghosts around 19th century Cardiff? What if the Statue of Liberty was actually a giant weeping angel? Too far, Moffat. Too far. But what about the what-ifs of Doctor Who history? Moments in time where John Nathan Turner could have turned left instead of right. Moments where the show could have changed dramatically if things were even slightly different. Just think, William Hartnell would still be the first Doctor if Chris Chibnall hadn't signed on the dotted line. So stick a time beetle on your back as we're about to jump between alternate timelines and see what could have been. I'm Rich, your go-to for Doctor Who from WhatCulture.com, and these are 10 what-ifs that could have changed the course of Doctor Who. Number 10. Robert Holmes never worked on it. Apart from his tendency to write stories based on his real-world views, the fourth Doctor story, The Sunmakers, is about the evils of the taxman. The taxes, I can't pay the taxes. Robert Holmes was one of Doctor Who's best and brightest contributors. Working on the show between 1968 and his unfortunate death in 1986, Holmes penned some of the most iconic serials, from The Deadly Assassin to The Caves of Androzani. He also created iconic recurring villains, such as the Autons and Sontarans. Working alongside the producer of the show, Philip Hinchcliffe, over the first three seasons of Tom Baker's era, you could arguably say they were responsible for the peak of the show during the classic run. So what if Holmes had never worked on it? We wouldn't have two iconic recurring villains to start, and the eventual downhill the show saw through the 80s might have come sooner. Number 9. David Tennant stayed on for Series 5 When Russell T. Davies was soon to be passing the keys to the TARDIS onto Stephen Moffat, it was unsure as to whether David Tennant would continue into the fifth series of the reboot. Subsequently, Moffat drafted two alternate Series 5s, one with an 11th Doctor crashing in young Amelia Pond's garden, the timeline we now know, and the other featuring an injured 10th Doctor. In a typical Moth twist, when the 10th Doctor left Amelia Pond's garden and met her again in the future, he had no memory of meeting her in the past. Turns out he crash-landed injured in her garden not because of the events of the end of time, but from the events of the series he has just had with Amy. Wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. These injured moments in the garden with young Amelia Pond would have been the last moments of the 10th Doctor. The tone would have remained more reminiscent of that of series 1-4 if Tennant had stayed, compared to the tonal and almost literal reboot of the show come series 5. 
Number 8. Russell T Davies wasn't in charge of the 2005 revival. Rebooting Doctor Who back in 2005 was not going to be easy. Queer as folk creator Russell T Davies had his name down for taking on this monumental task. With the show still going today, he pulled it off, obviously. But what if he wasn't the person at the helm? There were at least three other players put forward for this game. Life on Mars co-creator Matthew Graham put forward a more gothic adaptation of the show, Dan Friedman pitched a fantasy retelling, and a more unusual approach from the now series veteran Mark Gatiss, who would have made the Doctor the audience surrogate role, a position usually held by the companions. The biggest potential change aside from these pitches we'd have seen if Davies hadn't taken the role is that Gallifrey would still be fine and dandy as the time war wouldn't have happened. This would have also changed the characterization of the Ninth Doctor himself, who could have been played by Richard E. Grant, who portrayed the Schalke Doctor in the non-canon webcast. In fact, this animated Doctor was deliberately made to resemble Richard E. Grant, just in case he did take the role of the on-screen Ninth Doctor. Last but not least, those incredible high points of the Russell T Davies era could have not happened if he didn't take over the show, so I'd rather not think about him not steering the reboot ship. Number 7. John Nathan Turner stepped down while he could. John Nathan Turner has probably the most controversial run as producer on the show. He took over in 1980 and saw it all the way through to its cancellation in 1989. Many fans and critics were very critical of Nathan Turner's approach to the show come the 6th and 7th Doctor's eras, and many would say it would have been best for him to step down when Peter Davison hung up his hat and stick of celery. If he had left at that point, he would have already had a respectable four years on the show, and would have opened the door for a new showrunner to come in and inject life into the show, which no one realised it would have sorely needed since it would just sink over the next five years. A new mind atop it all might have seen the show continue as normal into the 90s. Number 6, Doctor Who continued after 1989. If season 27 were commissioned, it would have shook things up as soon as the second serial aired. Ace would have left the Doctor to become a Time Lord, okay. The new companion would have been an upper class cat burglar, think of Lady Christina D'Souza in Planet of the Dead, and Sylvester McCoy regenerated at the end of the series. Supposedly, Richard Griffiths was set to be up next in the TARDIS. Vernon Dursley in the TARDIS. Let that image sink in. Whether these changes would have given the show the boost it needed, we simply don't know. Script editor Andrew Cartmell's grand plan was to bring the Doctor back to the more mysterious version of the character he knew back in the 60s, even going as far as revealing the Doctor to be otherwise known as the Other, someone who worked alongside Rassilon and Omega and was worshipped as a demigod. This potential idea had split the fanbase down the middle, adding a heap of lore to the Doctor's backstory might not bode well. What's that, Chris? You've just done that in series 12? Oh, goody. Number 5. The 1996 TV film was a success. The 1996 Doctor Who TV movie was meant as a backdoor pilot for a US-produced continuation of the iconic series. Starring the lovely Paul McGann as the dashing 8th Doctor, the hopes and dreams of a revival unfortunately did not come to fruition. The ratings weren't great and the reception wasn't exactly sparkling either. If it were a success, however, the series would have been picked up and produced, and things might have veered off canon-wise a lot more than you might expect. The show would have been chopped and changed as the seasons rolled on, as things do with American executives trying to keep the show's viewing figures up. Yeah, the Americans would have had the keys to the TARDIS on this one, and it probably would have only survived a couple of seasons before being cancelled again. The Brits won't have liked the direction the show went in, and the American audience, if the 1996 movie figures are anything to go by, wouldn't have cared either. Also, the stellar 2005 reboot probably wouldn't have happened if this did happen, so we'd best be thankful the movie bombed. Poor McGowan. Number 4. Roger Delgado Didn't Die 
The late, great Roger Delgado originated the Doctor's Greatest Foe back in 1971 and ended up feeling pretty overused during the Pertwee era, having appeared in 37 out of 128 episodes. You would assume that the Master was recast in 1973 due to Delgado's unfortunate death in a car accident in Turkey, but the future of the character was originally going to go very differently. John Pertwee's last story, Planet of the Spiders, was originally titled The Final Game and would have seen not only the third Doctor regenerate, but the Master be written out of the show entirely as a swan song to the character. However, after Delgado's tragic death, this write-out was scrapped, and the character instead was revived in 1976 as the Deadly Assassin, played by Peter Pratt under heavy prosthetics. If Delgado hadn't sadly lost his life in 1973, the modern master we know today would have never existed. Number 3. Michael Gray didn't abuse his power Mention Michael Gray to a classic Whovian and their response won't be all that peachy. Grade was the controller of BBC One during the late 80s and basically did everything he could to run Doctor Who into the ground. He kicked the show four times before it was killed off. Firstly, he put the show on hiatus for 18 months in 1985. Second, he halved the episode count after the show returned from the hiatus. Third, he sacked Colin Baker from the role of the Doctor simply because he didn't like him. And finally, he slashed the show's budget and scheduled it up against Coronation Street just to harm the ratings further. Then, in 1987, he left the BBC, leaving the show in tatters. As the years rolled on, Grade remained outspoken for his hatred of the show and his dislike of science fiction overall. After appearing on Room 101 in 2002, he still stood by his comments, even when being rightfully jeered by the crowd. If he hadn't have meddled so much, the show might have continued into the 90s. However, once he watched the 2005 revival, he wrote a letter to the BBC congratulating them on a revival he actually enjoyed. Don't think that's just Redeemed yourself, Michael. We still don't like you. Number two, there were no Daleks. Doctor Who without the Daleks is like existing without pizza. It's not worth even thinking about. If anything, Doctor Who probably wouldn't have succeeded and made it out of the 60s if the immense popularity of the Daleks hadn't boosted the show's ratings sky high. However, creator Sidney Newman's vision for the show was predominantly educational and with no bug-eyed monsters. However, legendary producer Verity Lambert took a gamble on the Daleks and boy did it pay off. However, if she didn't defy Sidney's vision and didn't risk an original enemy, the show might not have escaped the early 60s. As said, Dalek Mania was huge. It led to an immeasurable show in the boosts ratings, merchandising profits were off the charts, and two Dalek TV stories were adapted for the big screen, which while non-canon are absolutely worth watching. If the Daleks had never trundled onto the show, we'd know Doctor Who as some weird 60s TV show in which an old man lived in a tiny box with a teenager. Wouldn't get away with that today, would you? And number one, William Hartnell never fell ill. The decision to recast the same character with an in-universe explanation of the change was probably the most iconic lightbulb moment in television history. William Hartnell, the original Doctor, wasn't exactly running on all cylinders throughout his run in the TARDIS. As the years rolled on, he became less reliable, flubbing his lines and generally looking exhausted. But what if Hartnell remained fit as a fiddle throughout his run and beyond? The concept of regeneration would have maybe never been devised, the show would have run dry with a singular characterization of the Doctor at the helm, and it might not have made it as far as 1989 let alone be rebooted in 2005. As much as it was a painful pill for Hartnell to swallow back in 1966, it was a necessary move that laid the groundwork for Doctor Who to become the worldwide phenomenon that it is today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
HelloFresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.